Good evening. As you know, I'm John, and I've only been here for about four years of the 15, so I'm a newcomer. <laughs> but I feel very part of all the good things that are going on at Life Vineyard. And uh, if I can work my computer, we'll get going. Um, The subject is intimacy through gratitude. And well, I feel I've got so much still to learn. I've done a lot of study and reading this last week. And if you want to really grow in God, um, prepare a few sermons. <laughs> if I can get this one to open, I'll share a bit with you. Do you know, I found in my Bible, um, when this is getting going, a um, piece of paper. And I don't know whether any of you have heard of, um, where did I put it? Martin Rinkert. He lived in Eilenburg in Germany over 350 years ago. And he was the son of a poor coppersmith. He became a pastor in his local parish church. 1637, there was an enormous plague that hit the whole continent and uh, hit his town. And it was recorded that over 50 people a day were dying. And uh, he, as the pastor, was called to bury most of them. And uh, it got to a point, I think, where he was also digging the graves. Although I can't imagine him digging 50 graves a day. Um, over 8,000 people died, including Martin's own wife. And, uh, you know, his ministry spanned 32 years and all but the first and the last were overwhelmed by great uh, problems and difficulties and illness and plague and so on that engulfed the town. Just imagine. And imagine, too, that this man wrote a great hymn. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. How did he write that after those long years of horrible ministry it must have been? But you know, after the famine, the Swedish army arrived on the outskirts of the town and they demanded 30,000 florins as tribute. And uh, <clears throat> there'd been a famine and so they had no money and Rinkart went out and he pleaded with them to, to, you know, to lower their demands. And um, Rinkart turned to the towns, you know, he talked to them, but they wouldn't, they refused to reduce the amount of money that they wanted. And Rinkart turned to the townspeople who had followed him and said, Come, my children, we can find no hearing, no mercy with man. Let us take refuge with God. And he fell to his knees and he began praying so earnestly that the general relented and asked only for 2,000 florins. It was a man who had an intimate relationship with his God. And that's what makes the difference in life. That's what makes the difference. I'm, I'm, I want to share, you know, I had my hair cut this week, you've maybe noticed. Um, 
and I have two lovely Geordie ladies who run the local barber shop where I live and they're a bit rough and ready but they have lovely hearts and the two ladies keep up this continuous banter one of the others are cutting people's uh, hair and uh, sometimes they get us involved too and when I was there last week um, one of them was talking about her healthy diet that she'd got onto. She was eating healthy eating, she was growing her own vegetables, and she was explaining to the other that uh, about all the additives that are in so much food and the danger it does to the body and so on. And that led on to her talking about how, the, how we are destroying the planet with all the chemicals and stuff that we use. And we're destroying the world, she said, and um, it's not fair on the poor animals. We're killing off the animals. She said, we really want to get the people killed off, and then the animals would wouldn't cause any damage and the lady who's cutting my hair she's shouting back at her what's the world for then what's the world for <laughs> and this uh, kept going on for a bit and, and then I said to her you know the world was made for you God made the world because he wanted you in it and wanted you to come to know him and she just, the, the whole place went quiet because there was about, must have been eight or ten people in the shop at the time. And I just said to her, that's what it's about. She said, I never thought about that. I haven't thought much about God. And it was just a little moment when the presence of God was there. And then off they went on another track. And uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's disgusting what they get into. <laughs> but it just... Yeah, what I want to say is, I thought it was such a good question. Why did God create the world? Did he wake up one day and say, I'm bored? Maybe I should do something creative? I don't think so. You know, Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So God lives in this constant joy and, and pleasant life. We can't imagine it. But what we do know is that God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an amazing relationship of love. John 4, 7 says that God is love. That's his whole nature. Uh, for all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been enjoying their love for each other and from each other. Love makes you joyful. Some Christians don't think that. I used to go to a very unjoyful church, if that's the right word, with a lot of doer Presbyterians when I was a child. And I never heard a joke in church or a laughter in church, very, very rarely. And I thought this was very strange because there's so much mention of joy in the Bible. And, but God is totally satisfied with his love relationship with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and they with him and each other. God created the world and mankind because the joy of love compelled God to create. Love that's not shown is not love. And in the Trinity, there is an infinite resource of love. You know, a well that's constantly overflowing with love, a spring that will never run dry of love. And God created the world and you and me so that we could share in and participate in and enjoy his love and enjoy him. Someone said, you know, that, um, I think it's up on the screen, God loves us with the same intensity that he loves God. That's a good phrase. 
But John 15 verse 9 says exactly that. Jesus speaking, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That is just astounding, isn't it? I just, yeah. Right now, the Father loves you as much as he loves the Son, Jesus. How much does God love you as much as he loved Jesus? Don't believe the lie that God could never love you because of mistakes you've made or sins you've committed or disobedient times. God is never shocked by our sin. He never puts his hands on his hips and says, Really, John, did you do that? And look angry? I don't think so. God is not able to reduce his love and say, Oh, well, you're only worthy, worthy of 40% of my love this week because of what you've been doing. What are you worth? What did he do for you in love? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He became a human being died an excruciatingly painful death on the cross for you and me. That's how much he loves and values us. He, he didn't do that for angels. And if you'd been the only person in the world, he would have died for you. And maybe there's some of you tonight who are here or watching this, listening to it, maybe avoiding intimacy with God because you don't believe really that he's for you, that he's on your side, that he could, he'd really love you, would really love you with 100% of his love. The Father says to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I'm, you know, it's a relationship of mutual submission in the Trinity. The Father says to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to harness all my love all my abilities and, and, and for your best interests. And the son says to the father, well, I'm going to harness all my love and all my abilities for the best interests for you, for your best interests, and so on. And if you and I, when you and I enter into an intimate relationship with Jesus, when you enter into that first relationship with Jesus when you became a Christian, it applies to you too. God is there for you, he says, I love you and I'm going to harness all my love and abilities for your best interest. What could be better than that? And you say the same to him. Or have you? I'm going to use all my love and all my abilities for your best interests, my Father in heaven. You know, intimacy is a place of transparency. You can tell God anything because it's a safe place. He's for you. You don't need to be polite with God. You can be angry. You can shout and scream. And next week, Tom will tell you how to lament. And God won't be offended. So you can be real. He wants you to know his love, to participate in his love, to experience all of his love, to enjoy his love. Which is why the end of that verse in John 15 says, Abide in me. Join in and stay in this immeasurably joyful, beautiful love of God. That's been God's heart 
from eternity, an intimate relationship with you and me. It's been there since Adam and Eve in the garden. I, I was pondering about Adam and Eve this week, and maybe the theologians amongst you can answer my questions, but I was trying to imagine Adam waking up after God had created him. I mean, did God create him instantly alive as an adult? I don't know. But I can imagine, I was imagining Adam waking up and looking up, and there is God. And he says, who are you? If he can talk, can he? What did he speak? I mean, it's amazing. And God says, I'm your creator. I've made everything you see just for you so that you can live joyfully fulfilled and we can be close friends. We can walk here in the garden together and, uh, yeah, and enjoy each other's company. An intimate relationship with the creator. And of course, we know Adam and Eve lost all the privileges that they had in the garden and the relationship with God because of their sin. But for the Christian, for you and me, and you know all of this, Paul says, through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I love that verse. I love it. You know, it's a billion times easier to get close to God than to the Queen. Uh, you probably won't get close to God anyway. You can wake up in the morning and talk to God without an appointment. And you can get God all to yourself. Let me ask you, is your faith in this intimate God, this person, do you really know him as a person? Or is it knowledge about him that you've got from the Bible and books and all the rest, but you don't know God? And after Adam, you read on a bit about Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was no more, for God took him. I think that's in Genesis 5. And you know, you, if, if you look at the genealogies, you can work out that Adam lived to be 800 years old. So it's just possible, I think, that Enoch could have known Adam. And I could imagine Enoch talking to Adam and saying, what was it like when God came walking in the garden? And what was it like when you, you were able to talk to him? And, and what was it like? And Enoch got so excited by what Adam said, he had lost the amazing relationship with God, that Enoch decided, I'm going to walk with God close for the rest of my life. And so he did, and God thought, wow, this guy's really close to me. I might just ask him to join the Trinity. Come up here, and took him off. Well, no, not the Trinity, but you know what I mean. He wanted him in heaven. And then there was Abraham. He was called a friend of God. And then there was Moses. God invited him, come up the mountain and stay here. And Moses stayed up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with God. And I think the Bible mentions 40 nights because he didn't need to sleep. He had actually got 80 days with God. And he was never the same again. It's little wonder his face was glowing when he came down the mountain, he had to cover it because the people were afraid. These are all men who experienced this deep, close intimacy with God that transformed their lives in an amazing way. And then you can go on, there's David, desperate to be with God. He's described in Acts as a man after God's own heart. That was the result of his 
intimacy with God. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing, this is David, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. King David was a man who had everything. He had power, he had comfort, he had fame, he had prestige, he had personal satisfaction in so many areas. But he wanted something more. He wanted more of God. He wanted more of God. Because only God can satisfy fully. We used to sing an old hymn, Now none but Christ can satisfy. How true. And I loved, you know, to gaze. I, I, what was he gazing at? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. You know, when you talk about intimacy, you think of a young couple and one of them's gazing into the other's eyes, you know. And I gaze into her shining eyes with joy my soul transcends. And yet I wonder, is it love or shiny contact lens? <laughs> um, well, it was, I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes it's real. We, we get in the presence and in that intimate time with God, we get real emotional feelings of love. And that's good. But it doesn't have to always be that way. Sometimes it's totally different. And God can be really close in the lamenting, as Tom will tell you next time, I presume. <laughs> um, yeah, to gaze upon the beauty of God I mean, he was, he was taking all his memories of, and all the history of God that he knew of and thinking about this God and how good he was. And I think of, you know, Mary and Martha and, and how Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, you can read about it. And Martha's not very happy because she's slaving away in the kitchen. But Mary has taken time away from everything that's pressing around, all the pressing things that need to be done, because she wants to be with Jesus. She wants to listen to him. And that's where he wants us. We need to give unrushed, unstructured time to get alone with God. You know, a friend of mine takes his wife every Friday evening for a meal in a restaurant so that they can maintain their intimacy. Mary simply sits with Jesus and finds delight and joy in his presence. She beholds his glory in each of those moments and she worships her Lord completely unconcerned with those around her. And Jesus praises her for that. Have you taken time to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? There, I had a lovely friend, he was a Methodist minister, he had a healing ministry, and he had a dog called Bo. And I asked him where he got that name from. He said he got it from the Bible and he quoted a verse that talks about God as being the beauteous wonder. I've never found it, but that's where he got it from. But yeah, to just to dwell upon the beauty of God. You know, there's all sorts of ways of meditating and reflecting and gazing upon God. You could take Isaiah 53 and read it and put your name in place 
of all the pronouns in these verses and gaze upon the Lord in the splendor of his beautiful sacrifice for you. This is more than just a Bible study for knowledge's sake. You see, it's not just the head, it's the heart that has to be touched. And God wants to touch our hearts. John Murray, who's a Scottish theologian, wrote, Christians have a potential for a personal knowledge and experience of God that beggars the imagination. That's truth. I'm not satisfied where I'm at at the moment. And I suspect none of you are either. We all want to know God better. And it's amazing because, I mean, I've been reading Rhys Howell's biography. He was in the Welsh Revival, great man of prayer and close to God. You know, he healed people and he never laid hands on them and did all the things that we do. We've been taught to, to heal. He just said to them, go home, you'll be healed at six o'clock tomorrow. How did he know that? Because he had that close fellowship with God. And I was reading after we had what you call him, uh, he talked about praying hide. I've been reading his biography and he was similar. He could pray all night and then be praying all morning and the guy in the, in the bed next to him when they're at a conference would go off and have his breakfast and go to the first session in the morning and come back at lunchtime and praying hide would still be on his knees praying and he would pray all afternoon and then he would preach in the evening. And was that powerful? I wonder, you know, I think, could I do that? But they said he was never tired. 1 Peter 1, you know, it's not for spiritual giants like praying Hyde. He wouldn't say he was a spiritual giant. 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You see, he's talking to Christians who had never met Jesus like Peter had, and now they, they don't see him now either. But you believe, he says, in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And that's written to ordinary church folk. And he's not saying, this is what you've got to aim for. He's not saying, there's some of you here who are not there yet. You need to pull your socks up and you know, do more gazing. No, he's saying this is reality for you you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy so that says to me it's for you and me so how does gratitude help us in all this wanting to grow with God have you been watching Emma Raducanu I bet you all have the 18 year old tennis player British star even though she's half Romanian which makes my wife very happy and uh, half Chinese, which gets the other half of the world supporting her. <laughs> um, the, but you know, she's a great tennis player and all of that. But you know the thing I admired most about her was that in every interview, the first thing she said and did was to turn around and thank the audience. Every time, thank the audience. Now you say, oh, she had ulterior motives. Yes, she got them behind her. She won them over, apart from the final perhaps. But she did that, and I noticed on several occasions when the ball boy or boy, ball girl uh, threw the ball over for her or placed it on her racket, that she said something to them, and it looked to me she was saying thank you. And I've never, I often comment about tennis players, they never say thank you to those, those kids who do that. 
And I thought, yeah. Thanks is so important. And it makes a difference to the people you thank. And your gratitude touches the heart of God. Touches the heart of God. Gratitude is saying thank you and expressing it in, in all sorts of ways. Sometimes sacrificial because we don't want always to do it. But we do it because it's right to do it. And it's a sacrificial thing. Gratitude, firstly, puts us squarely in God's will. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5. Part of God's will for us is to be thankful. Not just on the sunny days, but on the hard ones as well. You know, we often make out that God's will is some great, big, mystical plan. Uh, and often it's just simple obedience in the little things. And I want to encourage you, really get into thanksgiving in simple obedience. Because it brings God closer and enables greater obedience. Gratitude, secondly, draws us to God and brings God's blessings. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know the story of the ten lepers who came to Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus, they said, we need to be healed. Have, they said, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy or have pity on us. Lord, have pity on us. You see, it was, uh, and they recognized that Jesus didn't have to give them anything. They deserved nothing. And Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. And they went on their way. And one of, one of them, well, they all get healed. But only one comes back to Jesus to say thank you. Only one. Fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him, it says. And Jesus, and you can, I feel it in his heart when he says to them, we're not ten cleansed where are the other nine and he's longing for the other nine to come and say thank you because he has more to give he hasn't run out of love for them and he's longing for them to come back too so the one who comes back he says rise and go your faith has made you well and he got a little extra touch big extra touch God loves it when we thank him 2 Chronicles 20 verse 15, Jehoshaphat, Israel's under attack. And um, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat, it says, he appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That's our God. And you find that verse pops up in the Bible and in so many of the Psalms because it's truth. And it was truth that was proclaimed in a gratitude proclaimed to God that brought blessing and, and, and God did a miracle and, and rescued Israel and destroyed the enemy. Gratitude draws us to God like those, that one man drawn to God because he knew something had touched him and it had come from Jesus and he had to say thank you to him. Gratitude deepens faith. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not. Keeping a record of God's past faithfulness is a faith boost when we face new difficulties. God's record of faithfulness is 
That's why God commanded Israel to remember his good deeds. There's so many verses in the Bible telling us to remember, remember what God has done. Jesus at the Last Supper, the Eucharist we call it, Eucharist is the verb to thank. Jesus spoke both words and he gave an illustration to help us to remember. In 1 Corinthians 11 it says he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Gratitude expressed to God helps us remember how good God has been and it stirs up love in God and it stirs up love in us for God and this longing to be closer to him. My, when my kids were young, we had a prayer bottle. Every time God answered a prayer, we put a little note in the bottle, God answered this prayer, and we mentioned what it was. And then when we had another prayer need, we would get the bottle out and tip it out on the table and read all the prayers, all the answered prayers we'd had. And then we'd say, should we pray now? Because you think, God can do it. And he did. You can do that. You can have a prayer bottle. Or you can have a thank you journals now are very popular. My wife has a, a thank you journal. Every day she writes, or every evening she writes five thank yous to God. Five things that she's thankful for that day. It's a discipline, but it brings delight to God and puts a longing in our heart for more of him. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I love to sing songs of thanks. They remind me of all that Christ has done for me. And my response is gratitude. Sometimes surrender. I was singing Matt Redmond's song, um, no, I Will Offer Up My Life. You deserve my every breath, for you paid the great cost. You see, it's all that Christ did for me. And I got to the point where I couldn't sing those words. I had tears in my eyes, and I thought, wow, what can I say? What can I bring? What can be said, what can be sung as a praise of your name? We can't praise him enough. And, and, and I couldn't, I stopped and the presence of God was real. And I said, yeah, Lord, what can I? Colossians 3, 16 to 18, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. In other words, spend time in the word not just for knowledge but that God will touch your heart and teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives we can encourage each other sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father are you grateful to God how often do you thank him I remember church, meet, church prayer meetings when I was uh, in West Denton, and I hope they're not watching, but I would say at the beginning, let's just take a, a time and we're just going to thank God. I don't want you to ask God for anything. And somebody would start praying, and I knew within a minute their thanksgiving would lead into a prayer. <laughs> we find it hard to say thank you or to think of things. I mean, you know, there's so much in the Bible to thank God for. So much. And yet, yeah, are you grateful? Do you thank God? How long do you spend thanking God? 
I love that song, I Thank God. I think you've sung it here. And, you know, he picked me up, he turned me around, he placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because he healed my heart, he changed my name, forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master. Wow, that's just the beginning. How much can you thank God for your life, uh, in your life? I love the other song, uh, what's his name written? My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again. You see, that's, um, oh, I forgot who's written it, but the, the whole song, he, he talk, I looked at all the things it talks about, um, and it gets his eyes off, Jesus, off himself and onto Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what praise and thanks is all about. It's getting your eyes off yourself and onto Jesus. Because we're living in a me society, we need that more than ever. We need to be singing thankful songs. We need to be offering thanks to God so we get our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the one that will satisfy. And he talks about eyes, uh, about Jesus taking my sin. He talks about the new life Jesus is giving him, defeating sin, declaring me righteous, taking away fear. He keeps his promises. He surrounds me with his love. He's in control. His wisdom brings peace, and so on. Whose every thought is love. For every day I have on earth is given by the king. So I will give my life, my all to love and follow him that's where God wants to bring us in intimacy do you know in reformed theology the doctrine of sanctification that's about being transformed to be like Jesus the doctrine of sanctification is called the doctrine of gratitude is that amazing why because a life offered to God a holy life is the greatest thanks that you can bring to God. That's what God is longing for. God, let's have, shall we come have the worship group? I'm going to finish because all I need to say is that God created the world for you so that you can live in this intimate relationship with him, this place of love, exuberant joy, a place where you know his presence, hear his voice, and delight in his amazing goodness. Let me just pray. Father, we just, yeah, Lord, we just feel so far away from you when we think about the wonder of your love. We feel that we've, we've just begun to touch the very limit, the edges of it, and we want to be deeper in that love, Lord. I want to be deeper in that love. I want to know you more. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come now and bring the love of Jesus, the presence of Jesus to touch our lives here tonight as we worship you and bring our thanks to you. Thank you. You're such a good father. Thank you for the tremendous love that's in the whole trinity that's, that's just flooding out and wanting to flood into our lives. We want to open our hearts to you tonight and to receive all that you have for us. Take us deeper into Jesus and your love. Amen.